What, what is it that causes men and women in a church, teenagers, to absolutely, no matter what the circumstances are, they will stick together? Nothing can pull them apart. There are so many things that we look at. For instance, one poet put it this way. He said, and I can, I'm sure you can appreciate it up here at Summit County, snowflakes are one of nature's most fragile things, but just look what they can do when they stick together. Lawrence Welk, the old band leader from years and years ago, said to his band, boys, if you don't stick together, how do you expect me to follow you? One of my old sayings is, the family that sweats together sticks together. We've seen signs and bumper stickers that the family that prays together sticks together. But I'm going to submit for your consideration this morning that the thing that causes people to really get sticky and will hang in there year after year in families, in corporations, in churches, is the whole issue of forgiveness. If there's no forgiveness in a family, it becomes almost impossible for that group to hang together. Unforgiveness can tear apart relationships quicker than anything that you know. Now, I'm going to separate that from reconciliation, and I'm going to separate that from resolution. So often in businesses, we have to have resolution. We have to resolve things, or we cannot put the yoke on both of our backs and expect to carry the business out unless both of us are agreed. But sometimes you'll probably agree with me that gets, things get so complicated, so messed up, that you can't really unravel all the string. That's kind of what happened in our sin before God. It got too complicated, and so He provided reconciliation. He provided total forgiveness. And oftentimes that has to happen in relationships. Sometimes we, 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 we down the road can get to resolution, but for the moment we need to begin with forgiveness, and that precedes reconciliation, which precedes resolution. And I'm going to submit to you this morning that unless we begin with forgiveness and keep that as the watchword, and is the main idea in our thinking, relationships will crumble before our very eyes. If you have your Bible or your iPhone or whatever you keep the Bible on these days, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, most of us can do the math. That's 490. And some of us with husbands and wives, we've gotten to 491 and we've cut it off. But Jesus doesn't say that. He, he says 70 times seven. What does he mean by that? The, the number seven in the Hebrew language always indicated perfection. And I believe what Jesus is saying is, you need to keep forgiving that person until he gets it right, until it's perfected in his life. Some of you are tempted to grab your chairs now and leave. 
Oh, no, that means i got to forgive that husband, that wife, that teenager, that person in the church, my partner at work, until they get it right. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before himself, before the king, and said, Have patience with me, and I'll repay you everything. The Lord and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, His Lord said to him, You wicked slave. I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I think that's one of the toughest passages in the New Testament. And it causes me to shudder to think that God might hold that against me. And I I, I always kind of contemplate that with, where's the grace in this passage? Let's reconstruct the scene. When I was a young man, many moons ago, I remember on the summers, I would go up to Saskatchewan, Canada, where both my uncles lived. They both had farms, about five or six sections each. They were, they were uh, very uh, large farms. and You know that a section is about 600 acres or so, so you can do the math. And they were wheat farmers, grain farmers, a little bit of cattle. It was great to get in shape for football coming back for college. I mean, we'd milk the cows, but we had to do it by hand. Your forearms got huge. The bales of hay were only 60 pounds then, not these giant things they roll up in the... In, in, in the field, and you had to throw those bales. And it was a great experience, and it was a town of Mydale, Saskatchewan, located right between Estevan and Weyburn, hence my dale, middle of the dale. 238 people, including all the dogs. They had a county seat there. It was just flat prairie. There was, there was nothing there except gnarly kind of oak trees and grain. Tough farming. And I, I can remember coming to the municipality house. And even then, that little town had, a, had, had, had built that municipality up just a little bit off the ground so that it had ten steps going up to the municipality. You see, whenever you go into power, whenever you're going into something really big and it's powerful, you've got to have steps that take you up. Must have many of you have been to Washington, D.C., and you've climbed the steps of the Supreme Court. Now, there's a set of stairs. They want you to get the impression that when you're going up, you're going up to power. Well, it was no occasion for our boy here. He's summoned by the king. The king wants to settle his debts, and 
here comes our boy, and he's going up the stairs to see the king. Much like the stairs here. He comes up, and of course, when you get to stairs, at the top, there's always double doors when you get to power. Never a single door, double doors. He opens the double doors, sees an arrow pointing to the right, says, King. Down the hall he goes. Goes into a chamber, there's one chair, a table, and a book that's open on the table. Our boy walks in, sits down, and from the back of the room, three guys come in. Two very large men named Vince and Guido, along with the king. They walk up, they get behind the chair, and the king says, It says on page 238, You owe me 10,000 talents. Now that's an interesting sum of number. And I think as Jesus is telling this story, people are beginning to laugh. Why do I say that? 10,000 talents computed to about a million working hours for a slave. It was more than even the national debt at that time. And I think people are sitting here listening to Jesus and they're saying, how did a slave rack up such a debt? More than the national debt of our country. Jesus is making a point. He's making a point that this man owed a lot of money and it was huge. And the guy says, well, I don't have the money. And then all of a sudden, Vince and Guido and the king kind of huddle over in the corner and they said, he can overhear him saying, well, why don't we sell his wife and his kids and, you know, we'll do whatever we can. Finally, the guy hears that and he, he falls to his knees. He says, please, don't sell my kids, don't sell my wife. He says, I just can't do it, please forgive me. And somehow the king has compassion. Guido and Vince are upset because they wanted to tear this guy apart. But they back off, and the king says, Arise, your, your debt has been canceled. And he takes the page 238, he rips it out of the book, crumples it up, throws it in the wastebasket, and said, Your debt is paid. <laughs> Can you imagine how that guy must have felt after owing the national debt? Well, the guy, I don't think, if he walked up, he floated out. He floated out those, that king's chamber, down the hallway to the double doors, came down the stairs, and as he got to the bottom, he sees a guy that owes him a few bucks, about a hundred denarii, which in today's case would be like two bucks. And he starts choking this guy out for the two bucks. Pay me what you owe me. The guy says, well, I don't have it. I mean, he goes through the same scenario. And the guy says, well, you're going to prison. And he sends the guy to prison. Now, what he doesn't realize is that at the top of the steps, when he exited, Vince and Guido are still standing up there. And they're watching this whole episode take place. And they said, I can't believe it. This guy, he just had his whole debt canceled. Page 238 was ripping out, ripped out of the book. And now he's down there. He owed more than the national debt, and he's choking some sucker out there for two bucks. Well, they go back and they tell the king. He said, King, our boy down there, after you forgave him all that debt, went down and choked that guy out for two bucks. Evidently, what he learned at the top of the stairs wasn't commuted down to the bottom of the stairs. It's kind of like us. Whatever was accomplished in heaven, we forget about it down here on earth. Yet we pray, Thy will be done, Thy kingdom come. On earth as it is in 
heaven. But we don't live, we forget what goes on at the bottom of the stairs. Well, they bring this guy back. They set him down on the chair again. And this time the king looks pretty upset. He says, I thought you were just in here. I thought we just forgave your debt. And my boys, Vince and Guido, tell me that you went down to the bottom of the stairs and you started choking some guy out for two bucks? Do I have that story correct? The slave says, yes, yes, sir, that's true. He says, I understand you sent him to prison. Yes, sir, that's true. He said, well, I want you to know something. That the cell you put your guy in, that's a suite for two. You're going there too. And he puts him in there. Now the scripture records something here that sends theologians into tailspins. It says that he was in there and his jailers tormented him. For the longest time, I've wondered who the jailers are. And why are they tormenting this guy? And then I realized exactly who the jailers are. It's the unforgiving attitude in our lives that torments us. We think that when we get mad at somebody and we show them our hand, you know, talk to the hand, or we ignore them, or we try to put them down in some way to make ourselves feel a little more superior, when we think that our agenda is so doggone more important than the real issue of the whole agenda, when that side comes to play and we have to play those mind games with each other, and they think they're taking notice of our action towards them, they're not. They're probably walking away and thinking nothing of it. And meanwhile, we're angry with them. And that anger torments us. And it causes us to think certain ways and act certain ways and do things. Well, it's never going to get right with me until it gets resolved. But you know what? Sometimes resolution, as Rick Warren said in the Purpose Driven Church and the Purpose Driven Life, there's a difference between resolution and reconciliation. Sometimes things can get a little complicated. Sometimes we're not willing to own up to our stuff. And all we were really interested in doing was really a power over to make that person feel less than what they should because they did this to me. And so now we're tormented with those feelings. Those become our jailers until we release it. And sometimes things get a little complicated and resolution is something that's maybe coming down the road but we're going to have to reconcile, but it's dependent upon, first, our forgiveness, that we cancel the debt. My wife is a sexual abuse survivor by her brother. For the first 11 years, this was something that was not known in our marriage. I don't have to tell any of you what it's like to relate and be married to a sexual abuse survivor. It can play nightmares in your marriage. I felt like I was the devil himself. All of this anger was coming towards me. Because every man in her life 
was an abuser, and she was always the victim. But God did a mighty work. They began a series, or Carol began a series of counseling, which she was taught to confront her perpetrator. Now, I want to tell you that it just changed our marriage. Once this was dealt with, it changed. But an interesting thing happened <clears throat> in that whole process. When the room was filled with the family who knew what was going on, and they were all there to do the intervention, her brother said this, I don't even recall it. Carol said it was at that moment was the moment of truth whether or not forgiveness was going to happen for her. Whether or not she would cancel the debt. She had come to the meeting prepared to say you don't owe me an apology. But she wasn't prepared to say at least you owe me a memory. Can you hear that? Can you understand that? When someone has so deeply and grievously offended you, they don't even remember? She said it was at that moment. She said the debt had to be canceled. He doesn't even owe me a memory. The jailers were gone. No longer was she imprisoned or tormented by these feelings. The marriage changed. The relationship to our children changed. Carol has grown so much in grace that she now is a professional counselor, licensed professional counselor. She's a therapist, and she's helping thousands, literally thousands of people recover from lies and anger and tormenting things that torment them all their life. So proud of her. So happy for her. What about you? What about you today? I know things get complicated. Can you say, I forgive them, even though they didn't apologize? Even though they haven't made it right totally? Can you cancel the debt because they're on your way to great health if you can do that? And you would do the same as Jesus. Now, here's the point. Here's what the metaphor is all about in this story. The first slave owed the national debt. The second slave owed two bucks, which was easily prepared to pay back. That's the way it is with us and God. Our sin towards him is like we owe him the national debt. The stuff that happens between you and me is like the two bucks. Nod your head and say, got it, Dr. G. Got it. That's it. That's it. Carol realized that. She said, oh God, my sin before you is enormous. And you canceled it. You reconciled me to yourself. It was too complicated. We weren't going to sort it out. You just forgave it. You canceled the debt. I was given forgiveness for the national debt. Why am I choking my brother out for two bucks? And I'll tell you, when you're a sexual survivor, abuse survivor, 
you feel that that sin is a little bit more than two bucks. For those of you who are at Dillon Community Church, in fact, for all of you, you come from different churches, but for us, may I just have a moment with the family? All of you get to eavesdrop. <laughs> Let me have a moment with the family. We've had a pastor leave. Some of the ways that that happened in his leaving weren't the greatest methods to some degree. But there was nobody here at this church that was evilly intentioned at all. Everybody hopefully wanted to kind of like save the church. They meant well. Methods sometimes get confusing and they get wrong. That's life. That's life. But God asks us to rise to a higher occasion. And he says, I'll tell you what. There may be resolution down the road, but for right now, I want to see forgiveness and bring about reconciliation because sometimes things get a little complicated. And I'm asking you today as family, if there's anything in your heart, anything that's driving you in your family that hasn't been forgiven, try to keep in mind that anything that happened in Dillon Community Church was two bucks compared to your sin before God. And he reconciled you. And he says, this is what I want you to do with one another. Now, for those of you who have been eavesdropping, this might be germane to you at your church. This might be germane to you and your family. This might be the hot topic of coming here. Some of you teenagers, you weren't coming here voluntarily today. You were dragged here by your parents. You, uh, you'd rather be out swimming and, or biking or golfing. There always are things in our life that are irritating. Jesus says, be angry, but don't sin. Wow. All he's saying is, as human beings, we get upset, we get angry, we get disappointed, we get discouraged, but he's saying, handle it in an appropriate way. Don't be inappropriate about your anger. What do you mean, Pastor Gene? What, what does that mean to be inappropriate? Oh, I'll give you an inappropriate statement. Well, that guy did that. I'll never talk to him again. That's mature. That's godly. That has wonderful implications for resolution down the road. Now, if there's a bit of sarcasm in my tone. It's meant to be there today. Because I want us to see this, that we have an opportunity, as you who have been eavesdropping on our family information today, you have an opportunity to press this on. The world desperately needs to see people who are reconciled to one another. And since we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, it would presuppose that we are part of the reconciled. As I close this morning, I want to leave with you a story that I planned on giving at the business meeting, but I want to give it here. I gave it to the men at Iron Hour last Wednesday. I was sitting in the, in the church uh, one day. We were waiting for staff meeting. And I noticed on the floor 
of that nice area that we have, where you'll have the business meeting today, there was a gum wrapper on the floor. I sat there and didn't pick it up. I, 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 I guess I wanted to say to myself, I wonder how long it's going to be before anybody picks it up. And uh, nobody picked it up. After the staff meeting was over, I finally went over and picked it up. Now, I can tell you at my house, <laughs> my wife is quite the uh, house cleaner. Um, our house is never dirty, and there's a difference between dirty and messy. I don't mind messy because that just means I'm living in the house. You know what I'm saying? But, but Carol, God bless her heart, uh, doesn't even do messy. If there had been a gum wrapper in my house on the floor, that would have been not just picked up, it would have been attacked. It would have been seized. And it would have been immediately in the garbage. I can count on Carol that when she's in the church, if she had been at that meeting, she would have seized that gum wrapper because she believes that she wants to take care of the house of God the same way she wants to take care of her house. But when we're out of our house and something's going wrong, we always say to ourselves, or at least we're tempted to say this sometimes, uh, somebody else will get that. Somebody else will get that. And meanwhile, some kind soul comes by and picks it up and puts it in the garbage can and they say, why did you pick it up? I was just thinking of the janitor trying to make his life a little more easier. You see, even Paul said in his writings of Timothy and Titus, don't elect an elder whose house is out of order, because why would you want to have a man come in and be an elder if his house is out of order? How can he then take care of the house of God? Today I'm asking you, we're part of a church. We're part of a family. And on occasion, we have to pick up the gum wrappers in our church. What does a gum wrapper look like? Sometimes it's not the people, but it's how they're acting is the gum wrapper. Sometimes when two people are over in a corner huddling and griping and moaning and, 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 and just running things down, sometimes we have an obligation to go over and say, it's not the people that are the issue, it's where they're at in their state and the inappropriateness of how they're handling that pain and that care, and we need to come over and say, how can I help? What can I do to bring about reconciliation and forgiveness in this issue? We need to pick up the gum wrappers. We don't come over and say, you know what, I think if I get this gum wrapper into the carpet and push it down and scrunch it in there, no one will notice. Or let's just let all the gum wrappers sit on the floor. And then we can be known as the house of trash. I don't think that's what God had in mind. Now folks, this morning, I'm really pouring my heart out to you here at this point. Because we are in a battle. Not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And it's time to cancel debts. Because we need to move forward. And I don't know what that debt looks like. I don't know what that gum wrapper needs that you need to pick up. But I can tell you this. When we all get involved and we're on the team, Team forgiveness. God says, it's amazing what I can do.
old D.L. Moody, the pastor of the old church down in Chicago, one of the famed preachers of all time, said this, we have yet to see what God can do with a man when a man is wholly committed to the message of reconciliation. Those words thrill me. There's an old, old hymn that's probably my favorite. I hope they sing it at my funeral. <laughs> it's called, I Love to Tell the Story. I've had the privilege for 48 years of telling the story. I never get tired of it. Never. Of unseen things above. Of Jesus and his mercy. Of Jesus and his love. I don't ever get tired of that. I look forward to it. I can't wait for Sunday to come. I can't wait to get up here and talk. Thanks, Dad. I, I just, I appreciate that. Thank you, brother. I think, we, I think we need an amen once in a while. That's the difference of preaching in a white church and preaching in a black church. Man, in a black church, they let you know if you're doing good. All the women bring out handkerchiefs and wave them around and go, well, well, well. The men stand up and say, preach it, preach it. If you're not doing good, they also talk. They all go, help him, Jesus, help him. I mean, can I get an amen? I, I knew you were out there. I could hear you breathing. <laughs> Forgiveness. Won't you come be a part of the team today? Come on with me. Let's tell the old, old story together. Let's let Summit County know we're alive and well. Let's cancel the debts. They don't owe me an apology. They don't owe me a memory. Whatever it is, you're my brother. You're my sister in Christ. Come on over here. Bring it on in. And let me give you a hug. Let's begin again. Sometimes it gets a little complicated. So let's do what Jesus did and reconcile us with himself. May God bless us. Amen. And amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. May you be honored. May you be glorified. And this year, as we move forward in Dillon Community Church, and for every church that's represented here, even that church in Switzerland, God bless them. Thank you, Bob. I pray, Lord, that you would do something unusual with us. Give us a grace that's founded in the foundation of the rich heritage of your grace. And never let us forget what you've done in our hearts and lives. Now, Lord, we've got a business meeting to go to. We're about doing your business. In fact, we're minding your business. Help us to do it as God-centered, godly people. And then may we give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen and amen.